Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined as always by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. You can get Talking Tide wherever you like to get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, and we are live on YouTube and Facebook as well. The Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. Give us a follow there. Give us a like on Facebook, a subscribe on YouTube. We're going to take you all the way through this 2023 season with, excuse me, 2023 season with twice weekly podcasts throughout the fall. Quickly want to thank a couple of fine sponsors, Heat Pizza Bar of downtown Tuscaloosa in Government Square and Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, which is of course is Located in Northport, more on both of them later in the program. Right now, though, Travis, we look back at a huge win for Alabama, 34-20, to the final score over the rival Tennessee Volunteers in Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, you know, when you and I usually kind of take a look at the offense and a, and a look at the defense separately, and, and we'll do that tonight, but I think where you got to start with this one is just the overall comeback in the second half with this team down the way they were, down 13 at the break. Uh, giving up kind of a heartbreaker of a touchdown right at the end of the first half that sent Alabama uh, into the half in uh, doom and gloom mode and Tennessee with all the momentum. And uh, Alabama comes out in the second half and just absolutely storms back, wins the second half 27 to zip, wins the game 34 to 20, and uh, turns this rival, turns this game completely around and reclaims uh, bragging rights and a huge rivalry. I think you said it, that end-of-half scenario uh, sequence there where it looks like Alabama may go down and take the lead at 14-13. to At the worst, you're anticipating 13-10, Alabama down three at the half, going to get the ball coming out to start the second half and a real chance to sort of turn that game totally around. But – didn't play out that way. And so we've heard a lot. We've talked a lot about the resiliency of this team. And Saturday provided another opportunity to sort of uh, see exactly to what extent that exists. And I'd say uh, to a to a high level because Alabama came out there in the second half, didn't waste much time. Two plays is all the Alabama offense needed to cover essentially the length of the field make it a 20 to 14 game. And then at that point you felt like anything could happen, but you had still seen the defense really give it up too much too. I mean, that last drive for Tennessee there in the second half was a, a prime example of that, but give the defense credit as well in the first half, keeping Tennessee out of the end zone in some situations where, you know, a 20 to seven lead could have been what 28 to seven. Uh, it could have been even bigger there at the half. Yeah, I had a ball go off the fingertips of a Tennessee tight end for a would-be touchdown. They basically lost four points on that one because they had to kick the field goal there, had to kick a, a couple of field goals when they had been inside the Alabama 10, uh, not just in the red zone, but inside the 10, they get turned away. And and that was certainly a big factor to help keep Alabama in this game. Alabama came into the game, Travis, having already built somewhat of a reputation as a second-half team, right? We saw them turn it around after halftime in Tampa against USF, did the same thing against Ole Miss, did the same thing against Texas A&M. Uh, they actually led Ole Miss, I think, by one point at the half. I think that, we, that game was like 7-6 to six 
at the half, but still um, in a total dogfight with Ole Miss in the first half and uh, came out and handled them pretty easily in the second half. This game, though, whatever reputation Alabama had as a second-half squad coming into this game, it, per- it just about doubled, I'd say, uh, after this one because it's a bigger comeback from a bigger deficit against tougher competition in a rivalry game, uh, and they get the job done. And really, Travis, I think it was a lesson in the importance of all three phases of the game coming together to facilitate a comeback. Because, Complimentary football, as they like to yeah, call it these days. You, yeah. yeah, you said it. Uh, it wasn't just the offense. You wondered if the defense could hold uh, in the second half, and they did. Will Reichard with a couple of field goals in the second half, so special teams contributing as well. Offense, defense, special teams all lit it up in the second half to make it happen. If just one of those elements, and obviously offense or defense uh, are the two biggest, but if one of those elements uh, flops in the second half, maybe you don't get the outcome you ended up with. Yeah, you wanted to get Tennessee out of its comfort zone because what we saw in the first half was the epitome of comfort for Tennessee and how they like to play. And really it starts with that tempo and that offense and getting off as many plays as possible. 29 first quarter plays for Tennessee, 46 for the first half. Now you look in the second half, Tennessee still had one more total offensive snap than Alabama, but it was 33 to 32. And even with that little bit of an edge, Alabama held on to the football in the second half for seven more minutes. So that's a that's one of these scenarios where time of possession is real too. Uh, and that goes back again to all three phases doing the job. And really, uh, when you talk about the offense, uh, one thing they continue to do, even through kind of the rough spots, and they did turn it over uh, on the strip sack, the strip fumble, sack fumble by Jalen Milrow on Saturday. They still take pretty good care of the ball. You know, they've gotten better about not putting themselves in too many bad situations. Uh, but it also seems like even when they have, the defense has answered the bell in those scenarios. And this is a defense likes to play on fourth down, man. You know, you look at the analytics going into a couple of those shots that Heupel took in this game. Um, Alabama's been pretty good in those situations. Tennessee hadn't been very good offensively on fourth down, and uh, that showed up again in this game. Yeah, a couple of those. I think Tennessee was 0 for 3 for the game on fourth down. A couple of those spots were really big. One of them, a real head scratcher, Josh Heupel with a lead, uh, decides he's going to go for it. I think from his own 35, 37, somewhere in that neighborhood, um, ill-advised for sure. I think that was the play where where Milton got stopped just short of the line to gain. Uh, and also for Alabama, Travis, too, you got to mention uh, the fact that they were penalized just once for five yards in the yeah. game. Uh, I think it was an illegal snap was, was the one uh, blemish on what otherwise would have been a, a clean slate on penalties. Coming off a year where against the Volunteers last year, they got penalized 17 times. So you can't understate that factor in the game either. No, this Alabama offense still does plenty to put itself behind the sticks. So it certainly doesn't need the the penalty aspect to be a part of that either. And, you know, I talked about turnovers. Alabama actually turned it over twice. So that tells you about how the defense answered the bell 
uh, on a couple of those occasions. Now, the interception there into, into the second quarter, the defense didn't exactly stonewall Tennessee after that. But for the most part, uh, you're right. Uh, it wasn't just offense. It wasn't just defense in the second half. Uh, Will Reichard with a big field goal there uh, from 50 yards out in the fourth quarter to put Alabama up by a touchdown. And then, you know, when you turn it over a couple of times, it, it goes back to can you take it away? And uh, Alabama didn't just take it away. Alabama scored off of one of those, one of those non-offensive touchdowns. Uh, and we know how big those can be in outcomes too. Former Alabama player Sam Matthews chiming into the program. Travis, wanting to know what we think about that running game for the Crimson Tide. We are on the subject of the offense, so a good time to touch on that as well. Big day for Jason McClellan, 115 yards on 27 carries. Uh, of course, had the big uh, big play to open the second half to kind of get that uh, get that running game going and that was an area where, again, Alabama maybe not as good in the first half as they were in the second. Uh, and and I still don't think this team runs the ball as well as it needs to. Uh, but in this one, you, you can't argue with what McClellan was able to get done. Yeah, and a workhorse-type effort. I mean, he got up into the high 20s in carries. You know, we wondered if, hey, is Alabama going to start to expand this thing because we saw Jam Miller – we saw Justice Haynes the week before against Arkansas, so four backs in there. But it reverted back to not only Jace and Roydell, but a lot of Jace McClellan, especially there in the second half. And he was sort of the fire starter there with that 29-yard run on the first play from scrimmage. And, you know, the offensive line did some nice things at times. I thought Jace at times did some of it on his own, including a couple of times where maybe he went away from uh, some blocking that he had, but it all worked out in the end. Uh, you know, that was the sort of rushing effort Alabama needed in the second half, because now in each of the last eight meetings of the, between these teams, the team that has won the rushing total edge, uh, has won the game. And I think Alabama had maybe four or five more rushing yards in this game. Again, sacks get taken out of this stuff, so you have to kind of look at that as well. But the the pre-adjusted numbers, again, just like last week when the backs rushed for over 200, looked pretty good for these Alabama backs, specifically Jace McClellan. And look, Jalen really supplemented that thing too. Uh, we saw some design quarterback runs. Uh, we saw Jalen at times very decisive when he left the pocket to go get yards with his legs. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, he's If this running game is going to be a successful one down the stretch, uh, particularly in the next game against LSU, which is going to be a huge one in that SEC West race, Milrow's got to be a part of it. They're, they run the ball better when they incorporate Milrow into it uh, with design runs in particular. And I, obviously – you know, you can work some option in there where he gives or doesn't, depending on a read of the defensive end. But they definitely run the ball when the defense uh, is shown that he's a threat uh, and that they just they, they can't just ignore him back there. Uh, play calling wise, a little bit of diversification for this game for Alabama, Travis. We saw a couple of jet sweeps. We saw a couple of screens. Really hadn't seen much of either throughout the season. Screens really didn't do much. They did pop a nice run on a jet sweep. I say run. It's technically a, a completion. But they did pop a nice gain 
uh, I should say, to Kendrick Law with one of those jet sweeps. And, you know, maybe down the stretch we'll start to see uh, some more of the, some more of that um, sprinkling in you know, offensively some play calling that we just haven't seen much of to date. Yeah, just in general, we saw more attempts to turn easy touches into explosive plays, like Kendrick Law's jet sweep. They ran it a couple of times with him. Ran a little slice action with uh, Isaiah Bond across the formation and just dump it out to him in the flat. So saw them move Jalen Milrow off of play action there and hit C.J. Dupree coming from the other side of the formation on a little underneath route that picked up some nice yardage. So you're right. I thought just in general of trying to be more creative and give themselves some easy opportunities or at least easier opportunities to you know, stay on the field first and foremost, but also um, you know have a, a, an opportunity to hit some explosive plays. It's something we have seen from Alabama offenses in the past. Hadn't really seen it much from this group, but I got to think we're going to see more of it moving forward. Speaking of pass protection, four more sacks on Milrow. A couple of those may be on him. Uh, I think we're seeing a little bit more awareness from him outside the pocket. We're starting to see him throw more balls away instead of just running out of bounds for losses or taking a sack that he shouldn't take. That's a positive sign. The awareness inside the pocket, still definitely something that needs to be developed, and, and I'm sure that's a point of emphasis for the coaching staff uh, with Milrow. Not all the sacks, I don't think, were, were on the offensive line, but you know, Nick Saban on his Thursday night radio show made no bones about the issues at left tackle, Travis. He said flat out um, on that Thursday radio show, look, we can't keep the left tackle on an island with 27, talking about James Pierce, the pass rusher. They got to do whatever they have to do to get him some help. And, and uh, we saw some help on that side, certainly, uh, with the left tackles and and uh, it seems like Proctor uh, is is trending toward maybe taking that position back over. Uh, he was we'll pretty see. much the guy, right? I mean, he went right. wire to wire on Saturday at left tackle. We didn't see Elijah Pritchett, at least I don't recall seeing him. And we did see some different things to try to help him, put a guy over there with him, not just that, but chipping against the guy that he was going against. We saw that on multiple occasions. Um, and you're right about Jalen. I mean, what makes it tougher for Jalen, too, is he's coming behind Bryce Young, who had an innate ability to feel pressure. A lot of guys need to be able to see it to react to it and maybe take that step up into the pocket. And then there's that very select few that can literally feel it and know when in that clock in their head, it, we always hear about, tells them you got to get up into the pocket and even on the fumble that Jalen had on the sack by Pierce going against Caden Proctor. Yeah. Proctor gave up some ground, but I think if Jalen can just take a little hop up into the pocket there, there's an opportunity to try to avoid that. Now Jalen did that on the touchdown pass to Isaiah bond, but that pressure was more to his face. So he, he had an idea where it was, and maybe what he wanted to do there, and he did a nice job with it. Interesting comments, I thought, from Saban on Saturday night to Travis post-game on that very subject. He talked about the way Milrow looked, be looked better in terms of being able to step up 
And he said something I thought was a little curious. He said, that's something Jalen used to do really mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. which, which uh, what that says to me is he got away from it. Uh, for and maybe the pressure is why. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, the legitimate pressure earlier in the season uh, got him a little skittish, you think? Maybe? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And he's also a guy, too, who he's so athletic and he's so good on the run. He's so dangerous uh, when he leaves the pot. But he's one of the few – too many quarterbacks think they can run – to the perimeter and beat linebackers and beat somebody. Well, he can, right? So, you know, his instinct to just peel out the back door when the pocket's collapsing on him is, is going to be the right instinct more often than it is for most quarterbacks because he's athletic enough to get out there, beat somebody to the corner, turn up field, make a first down, whatever. Still, regardless of how athletic he is, though, you still want him to just go ahead and take a step forward in the pocket, survey the field, and hit somebody too, and that's a, that's a balance for Jalen Milrow. It is, and and you know the thing about it too, I that may be his instinct, but I think Jalen's been pretty adamant, best I can tell. He wants to be a pocket guy. He really mm-hmm. does. That's what he wants to be first and foremost. And I get it when you talk about a big picture future for a quarterback. That is kind of a non-negotiable. You have to be able to deliver the ball from the pocket now. There's offenses out there in the NFL that have been constructed in a way in recent years that fit a guy that maybe runs more and looks to get out of the pocket and do some different things, whether it's a Josh Allen, whether it's a Jalen Hurts, whether it's a Lamar Jackson, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, but I think first and foremost, he wants he wants to be a pocket guy. Um, but yeah, you know, there's there's that navigation skill that you got to have in working the pocket. And I thought in the second half, you saw more of that from him and you saw it on a big third and 10 too, that he converted when he stepped up, had the running lane in front of him and he took advantage of it and went and got the 10 yards. You know, it's great to want to play quarterback, but I've seen the best that aren't as athletic as Jalen understand the Tom Brady's who aren't going to win any 40 yard dashes that on third and six, third and seven, Sometimes if you can break the pocket and go get seven, you got to play football. You know, you got to play quarterback, but there are going to be a couple instances of the game where you got to go play football and go get the yards. And Jalen did that in the second half. He did. And I think he's also a guy, when you talk about his ability to pick up yards on the ground, look, just because you step up in the pocket doesn't mean you have to sit there and wait and take a sack if nothing's open. You could take off and just go straight up field from a step up. And if you're a spy, if you're a linebacker on the opposing defense and you're spying on Jalen Milrow, what would you rather have? Would you rather him peel out to the side where you can just kind of track him and and maybe force him inside where there's going to be maybe some help for you to bring him down? Or do you want him coming straight at you downhill and giving you one little juke in the the open field and then be off to to the races like he did against Arkansas last year for that big run uh, that that was a huge help for for Alabama in the second half against the, the Razorbacks last year? Uh, Milrow's every bit as dangerous running, maybe more so, I think, when he just tucks it and goes through what's left of those A-gaps and pass protection, right, straight between guards and centers as opposed to uh, going out the back door and, and 
stringing it out towards the sideline. Yeah, when he's decisive about it or kind of forced into it, like the Mississippi State game, when the shotgun snap pretty much signaled that he was instantly in runner mode and he turned that into an explosive play touchdown, he can he can do it. Now, I think one of the things about Jalen that's oversold a little bit is that he has some serious make-you-miss skills. I don't see that with Jalen Milrow. What worries you about Jalen Milrow is what we're talking about probably first and foremost, and that's when he's decisive and decides to make straight-line runs because he can get up to top speed in a hurry, and he's 215, 220 pounds, so you know he can finish those runs if he wants to with emphasis, as we saw on the third and ten against Tennessee on Saturday night. So, yeah, I mean, he is a very capable, very effective runner. Uh, but as you're sort of, I think, alluding to here and pointing out, it's not just can you run, it's when you run, do you know where to run? Uh, you know, do you understand down and distance well enough uh, to make those type of decisions? Uh, and I think he's continued to develop in that way. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. He's... He- his make-you-miss ability is so much better when he's going upfield and going downhill and making one cut like a running back when you got one guy to beat one-on-one. He can do that all day. Uh, maybe not so much the lateral make-you-miss guy, yeah. right? Like maybe a J- Jameer Gibbs might have been, you know, as a running back for Alabama last year. So fun to watch, though, regardless. All right, we are uh, probably a little overdue to talk defense, Travis, but uh, the Crimson Tide – Strong in that regard, again, especially once again in the second half. We talked on the about the fourth down stops a little bit. Pass rush strong again. couple of sacks for Chris Braswell. The big strip sack that Jihad Campbell came up with. Another sack for Dallas Turner. Dallas Turner gets one every week, uh, <laughs> or at least a piece of one. Uh, his consistency this year, getting at least a half a sack, is uh, very much Will Anderson-like. It is, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna approach the teens, I think, before the regular season is over when it comes to sacks. And when you team him with a guy like Braswell on the other side, who has really taken another step this year, uh, that's as good a duo as you're going to find in college football right now, uh, Turner and, um, and Braswell. And, and what I like too is relative and comparative to last year you're getting more interior pass rush too. So that just makes those guys better. And it also helps the interior guys because opponents know they got to account for these guys on the edge. If they don't, they're in one-on-one. Somebody, one of the two is going to win in a one-on-one. Uh, and then you start getting guys like Tim Keenan and Jaheim Otis. Uh, I thought Tim Smith played well again on Saturday too. He was a part of the one fourth down stuff. He also set a nice edge when he was in sort of that base end position. So they're getting it from different guys too, man. I mean, Couple nice see, plays from a boy B too. a boy B. I, I, I love that guy. Even games over, they're up 14 in the last minute. He's still out there getting after it in a three man pass rush. Like it's tied, you know, mm-hmm. and Tennessee's trying to go down to kick a winning field goal. So um, that's a good group this year. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Going to thank a couple of sponsors really quickly. We're first going to tell you all about Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa. Great spot for you and your family if you're looking for great food, great atmosphere, and especially if you're out and about 
with Alabama home or away. You don't want to deal with those crowds on the strip. You just head downtown to Government Square, 2256th Street, and Frank Fleming's staff is going to take care of you for sure. Had a Talking Tide listener uh, grab me uh, as I was exiting the field after the game, Travis, asking me if, if uh, I was bringing a big crowd down to heat, a big Talking Tide crowd down to heat. <laughs> After the game, lots of fun uh, talking to that guy. Talking really tight turn up. That's Heat. right. They got to make that happen. Yeah, bunch of flat screens though at Heat Pizza Bar. They're always going to have the big game on for you as well, and they can't beat the fantastic signature pizzas, the margarita, the standard, the Thai chicken pizza. It's all excellent. Super prices too. Daily specials. So the next time you're in the mood for great pizza, head to Heat Pizza Bar, twenty two fifty sixth Street in downtown Government Square. I'm going to tell you about Peter Brook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, 16 years and counting. Peter Brook Chocolatier, a staple of the Tuscaloosa community. If you are a fan of chocolate, well, this is your equivalent of Six Flags over chocolate, you know, or Walt Chocolate World, something like that. You got the chocolate footballs, you've got the personalized chocolate treats that they will make for you at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network, the Twitter feed talking underscore Tide. Travis, we'll look around the SEC really quickly. We'll take a quick dip in that too deep tumbler before we get out of here. Mississippi State and Arkansas with a boat race, seven to three. The final score, Mississippi State gets home. And in the aftermath, Travis, oh, uh, we learned today that Dan Enos, uh, who was very briefly on that U, uh, that Alabama staff, he uh, was canned by Sam Pittman after a dismal offensive performance. 200 total yards of all. This is how bad it's been for Arkansas offensively the last several weeks. The last three games they've played, which includes a game against the Crimson Tide, uh, their offenses couldn't crack 300 yards of total offense in any of their last three games, only 200 total yards against Mississippi state. And uh, it was uh, the end for Dan Enos might be the end for Sam Pittman by the time the season's done. It might be because it, it wasn't just that the offense was putrid uh, in that loss to Mississippi state that, and, and I get it. We've talked about it. I mean, this is a, this is an Arkansas team has been on a hell of a run you know, to start this season, really, um, you know, the last, the previous four weeks, essentially on the road against really good teams for the most part, then you come back home, that team looked totally out of gas. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with Sam Pittman. Part of me thinks Arkansas fans maybe overvalue their job a little bit, especially with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Okay. Well, you know, and, and it's never, it's never a good counter argument to say, well, who are you going to get? Because mm-hmm. you never know, but um, you never know who you get is going to turn out to be, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but I'm kind of that way with Arkansas. I, it's just not a good situation. I think Sam's at a point in his career where, you know, if if, if they want to write a check, he'll be fine. Uh, but it, it's a tough spot for, for Arkansas because it almost feels like Arkansas is going into a new league with Texas and Oklahoma coming in the sec because some things are going to change. Uh, it's going to become, I think even more tougher in some mm-hmm. ways to be in that job with those two teams, those neighboring type of schools coming in. 
Break up the Mizzou Tigers, 7-1 and one now, Travis. They take care of business against South Carolina, 34-12. to 12. That game not particularly close. Uh, did well in all three phases, did the Mizzou Tigers. They're looking uh, they're looking good right now. Again, 7-1. and one. And then, uh, as well, Ole Miss takes care of business against Auburn, 28-21, the score there. Auburn's offense didn't play as well as 21 points would indicate. Not that, 20, <laughs> not that 21 is a lot. Uh, 21 won't win you a lot of games in, uh, anymore. But uh, uh, it was another mess offensively for the Tigers. Tigers got a long way to go on the offensive side of the ball. And you ask, why am I going to talk about Georgia here when Georgia was off? Well, maybe that Georgia schedule's rounding into some competitive form here, Chase. You got the Gators coming up in Jacksonville for Georgia. Florida feeling a lot better about itself after the win in Columbia, South Carolina a week ago. You've got Missouri playing at a high level now. Uh, even Tennessee down the road, Ole Miss is on that Georgia schedule as well. Hey, maybe things are going to get a little interesting for the dogs here over the back half. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Come on. Good fellas. Yeah. You feel strong. That's what Kirby's saying to all that that I just said. Oh, great. All right. Yeah, these guys are being fresh. So good. All right, we're going to jump through that uh, tumbler really quick, give it a spin, see who comes out of here. And uh, then we'll be out of here and done on Talking Tide. Who's going to come out of this tumbler today? There's two wanting to come out, but let me just one today out of the tumbler. And out of the tumbler comes... Number 81, C.J. Dupree, briefly mentioned on the Talking Tide podcast here this evening. Transfer tight end from Maryland and a guy that's seen the field quite a bit. Uh, hadn't made a ton of catches, hadn't been a huge part of the passing offense, but he's been a big part of the offense, Travis. Gets on the field a lot. He does. And, you know, the 12 personnel has been pretty good to Alabama with he and Robbie Oots in there together. I got to think that coming from Maryland to Alabama that CJ thought a few more balls would have come his way at this point. Uh, but this has not been a tight end centric offense when it comes to, if it's not called pretty much to the tight end this year, it's not getting yeah. there. Whereas with guys like Mac Jones or uh, Bryce, they would get to you. You know, there was more of a check down game. Uh, and they didn't need it. They down. didn't need it. They haven't needed as much help from tight ends and pass pro in pa as they have in past years either. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, like yesterday, you know, I thought that was nice play design. That was a nice play call to get Jalen on the move because Tennessee's linebackers, not just Beasley and the inside linebackers for Tennessee, but Tennessee was bringing a safety a good bit, dropping a safety down in there. And especially on early downs, just dead intent on taking away the the running backs in the run game. So anything you did to the backs was going to hold those guys in there. And then you could get a lot of what you wanted off of it. Um, but Dupree's a nice player, man. He really is. And and give him credit because, again, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he didn't think he would be sitting with the, the reception total he has right now. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have affected him in other areas – uh, of his game, and uh, he's been a nice pickup. High-energy high, high energy guy, no doubt about yeah. it. All right, that's going to do it for 
This edition of the Talking Tide podcast, be uh, we'll be taking a week off right along with the team, as we usually do, Travis, on this Ida week. But uh, we will come back, I suppose, uh, in about 10 days uh, that following Wednesday to preview Alabama's game against LSU. Huge game. Uh, you can't quite say it's for all the marbles in the West because Ole Miss has still only got one loss in the league. Yeah. So they're still kind of hanging around, uh, got their fingers crossed that LSU can trip Alabama uh, so that uh, the, the Rebels can can stay in it. That being said, uh, certainly not a bigger game in the West this year than, uh, than LSU's trip to Bryant-Denny Stadium. It seems like no matter what, it comes down to Alabama-LSU. Somehow, some way, uh, and give this Alabama team a lot of credit. There's a couple of times in September and October where I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be one of those very rare Saban teams that doesn't get to November with CFP chances mm-hmm. intact. I mean, that's kind of been an annual rite of passage. Right, this team is going to do that. They're going to go into November still with pretty much everything on the table for them. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us again uh, the Wednesday prior to Alabama's game against LSU. We'll be previewing that one. Until then, for Travis Dreyer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. We will talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.